Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Yo What The Hell, a show where two friends get together each week and talk about a smorgasbord of topics that they found interesting. Uh, hello again, my name is Bravo this week and I'm joined as always by my co-host. Whiskey, thank you, I'm here. <laughs> Hell yeah, it is great to be here, dog. Uh... Yeah, so uh, this week we are going to continue our look on George Washington and all of his war crimeing deeds and misadventures that he continues to go on. Uh, we're going to start it up uh, at the. Re- we're going to lead into the Revolutionary War, uh, and this is going to be a two-part episode. Uh, and we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger because we're doing a break episode next week, and we're going to talk about the farm workers because. I finished that paper, and uh, it'll be a nice little fun interlude, hopefully. Uh, less war crimes. Um, not, <laughs> less not, war crimes. Not, not zero percent, because uh, these things happen. It's, you know, a protest. Uh, but, this is Amer- yeah, this is, this is, this is America, and nope. uh, we really love state violence. It's yeah, we really like do. It's been... Uh, Almost like it's been the whole thing from one of our founding fathers. Man, that's a great fucking tying it back to George Washington. Oh, it is, because we will definitely get the state-sponsored violence and and the state having the mantle of violence through um, G-dubs. Okay. Yep. Only the state Fuck. can harness violence. <laughs> we, are, we are on a fucking list now. Uh, oh. You know, I've probably been on a list since George W. Bush was in office, so I can I can live with this. This is just adding to my file that one day someone, some man in a suit will come and like be like, "Sir, you just need to come of us." Yeah, but uh, let's uh, let's uh, do some catching up. What have you been up to this week? Uh, man, I had a weird week because um, someone at home got off of work a lot this week, and so it was all up in my business talking and being up at night and stuff in my vampire hours so that was weird um and yeah oh i bought the one of the expansions for um that one game super smash brothers so i'm super excited about that excellent you can so, smash with the boys i have i'll have more characters soon i just need to go do that later tonight that's one of the few things on my list of shit to do otherwise did you get banjo um i don't know i got the first dlc pass not the second one yet i'll get the second one with this payday but fair sorry i interrupted oh no it's fine um and i did we did we participated in so much capitalism yesterday it was ridiculous so there was that thank god we went to a flea market which is terrible no one follows the rules um, luckily, Oklahoma is having like an astoundingly low amount of COVID cases now, so it's not too worrying. But it's still like, holy shit, none of you people will wear the mask. Just wear the dumb thing. It's easy. Why aren't you wearing it? Why aren't the police out saying like, hey, you need to wear this thing? I mean, it's it's like a free ticket money. That's what kills me the most about like this whole year of COVID is that the police finally have like free money thrusted into their lap since every major city has you know, COVID rules, but no one follows them and no one enforces them. 
and it's mind-boggling. I mean, police are going to hold their friends accountable. Oh, that's, so. that's, that's all I can think of, too, because I see so many of them walking around about maskets. Like, well, Josh will get mad at me if I uh, write tickets to people. Exactly. Shame. But yeah, we did so much of capitalism. We bought new, fun pots, though, from that really fancy French-sounding pot company. Like Crusette? Yes. And I'm very excited about them and to try them in a few days after they've sat in the house for a bit longer. <laughs> Fuck like, yeah. That sounds mm, awesome. It was. It, it was. I was more excited about that than I should have been. Like, becoming an adult, I think, is becoming excited about stuff that you can get to put in your house and improve your home. <laughs> yeah. I will uh, agree with that. Yeah, that was that was my week. Um, yeah. So what did you do, sir? Oh boy. I uh as as mentioned, I finished mostly finished that farm workers paper. There's a few more things I need to go back and add. Uh but just trying to get a whole bunch of homework done. Spring break um starts i guess today it's this next week and then i got like three more weeks for the semester after that so big old crunch i got i got to finish up you know a couple more projects for for class and then i gotta learn D D stuff because i'm still trying to run that campaign and uh at this point, if I don't do it, I give you and Mr. Toasty producer full permission to shit on me on the podcast, and I will not edit it out uh, to be held accountable. Um, I, I don't want to shit on you. Like, oh, oh, you're talking about making fun of, dude. I was worried that you were talking yeah. like you should just come like take a dump on me. Nah, <laughs> <Yeah>. dog. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, uh, yeah, for those you know, audio medium, uh, Mister Mister Tosi producer just sent a message saying that he will shit on me. Uh, there is no word on whether or not that'll be literal or uh, you know, metaphorically. You know, well, we'll but, see how uh, German he decides to be when the when the time comes. Exactly. Um, but also, let's see, on a more fun front, um, a whole lot of Monster Hunter. I mean, not not to say shitting on people isn't fun. Um, as long as everyone in, you know involved enjoys it, um, <laughs> I, I've been playing a whole lot of Monster Hunter uh, still. Um, just you know, fighting evil Super Saiyan monkey and uh, you know getting murdered by monsters. Uh, I restarted Assassination Classroom because that's a top five anime. Uh, it's so good. Um, and then I started Fire Force because that's been hyped up. Okay. And it's all right. Like I watched the first, you know, episode, half of the second one. And I was like, all right, I'm going to watch something else, but I'm going to go back to it. It's, it's cool premise. Um, I suppose. And, uh, let's see. Uh, I wish the St. Louis Cardinals would win a baseball game. That would be ideal. But, uh, you know, they seem to enjoy losing and, I don't want to take that away from them. Well, you know, sometimes you got to lose for a while to get to get exponentially better. Maybe. We just traded for Nolan, goddamn Arenado. We should be better, but yeah, uh, that is true. <laughs> you know, 
if wishes and you know whatnot were gumdrops and candy drops, well, I don't fucking know. I butchered that saying. Yes, you did. Uh, <laughs> it is horses, sir. Yeah, exactly. If wishes were fishes, um, there would be a lot of fishes. But uh, that has been my week. Uh, nothing, nothing super exciting. Just ready for the semester to end, man. Like, you, oh you my should be. god. You've done a lot of work. And this is your last yeah. um, semester in community college, right? Or are you in no, real college right now? Yeah, I'm in real. Big boy school. Yeah. Oh, God, that's right. So this is your first big boy. Or is this your second big boy semester? Man, this is confusing now. I know. First big boy semester, and I've already registered for next semester. I'm taking you know some cool classes. Doing a weapons, on, weapons of mass destruction class, so that should be interesting. Mm. Uh, but then after that, I need one more full semester and then uh, like internship and capstone pretty much. Maybe a few more uh, history credits to round or poli sci credits to finish that off. But uh, I should be done in at least with undergrad in like a year and a half. Knock hey, on wood. Good on you. Good on you, man, because like that, that's hard shit. Like it is not easy to get your four year. And I don't think our society respects that anymore. Um, no, and the fact that you could argue that everyone and their dog has a four-year degree now, so the market's overly saturated, which is why job prospects are uh, very low. See, um, I, I think that's a bullshit argument. I think that baby boomers have just moved the goalpost. Instead of, like, they told everyone to go to college, you could go. Everyone, lots of people who could go, because not everyone, lots of people who could went, and they all sent their children. And then, you know, they gave their children the choice jobs. And then decided, oh, there's too many people coming for these jobs that pay better. Let's move the goalpost. And by moving the goalpost, then we can just be like, oh, you have to have more to get the good paying job. But here is a shittier paying job for much less money. Oh, it's almost the same amount of money you could make without a degree. Oh, it's almost like we've decided that it was good for us and good for our children. But all of you poor people who went and tried to do this, y'all can go fuck yourselves. Yeah. No, I will. Uh, I will retract my statement and uh, yeah, you know, come out. Man, I have ah, uh, uh, that's 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 the best de- debate strategy. I'm just like you know, Ben Shapiro. But uh, yeah, I don't know how much of that's staying in. So uh, you don't you don't want to keep like our uh, appraisal of Big Boy Ben there. I mean, he's the biggest of Bens. He is, and God, I hate him. I do too, so much. Like, mm. oh man, that reminds me. I forgot to tell you this because I'm um, speaking of shitty conservatives. So the other day, um, Sean Hannity talked about how that poor little 13 year old boy who got shot by the police in that awful video from Chicago, how he looked like a grown man, and you know he was a man. He just kept calling this obvious child a man. And in a rage fit, I got suspended from Twitter for a week because I tweeted. I It might have been at him, but it could have been on a news article. But I kind of think it was more directed towards um, Hannity that someone should break his fucking jaw. And Twitter, <laughs> unlike Facebook, takes shit seriously. And they will suspend you if you threaten violence upon um, someone who's a cunt who I say threatens violence all the time. 
but he doesn't get I mean, the platform for a week. I mean, <laughs> this is yeah, probably I'll the just... one time that I want to cut in. I'm so sorry, but I, I need to say thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's probably the best thing I've heard all week. Well, it's like, why are he, why is he calling a 13-year-old child a uh, man? But yet that cocksucker, Kyle, whatever his fucking dumb German-ass name is, went and shot people with an AR-15, and he is t- legally a man. But they keep calling him, oh, a little bitty boy with a gun. But a 13-year-old? Okay. Like, fuck off, man. Like, I hate it's these conservatives. Almost, yeah, it's almost like they're just awful racist people. And, uh... I mean, obviously, like, your comment was so much worse than what Sean Hannity said. And, uh, you know, rightfully so. You were, you were, you were punished for it, uh, you know. I know, That's but true. man, I, I got the big mad over that. It was also funny, though. So, like, I had the big mad. Oh, yeah. It was also like, well, I can't. Twitter's useless to me now. I don't have a Facebook anymore. Um, whoopsie daisy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was I was wondering where you went, and uh, I just want everyone to know that um, I, I I was not serious with what I was saying. I hope my tone uh, you know proved that, but uh, you know you guys don't know me and uh, well, whiskey's here rapport. So so you know. yeah, my my new oh. thing is I'm gonna have to try to keep saying that I wish people like Sean Handy would step in a pile of dog shit. That's my new wish. A pile of dog shit. You step on it. Or a bird poops on his head. Or poops in his open mouth while he's looking just right up. Bird shit just oh, right down his mouth. I hope he always steps on a Lego every time he puts his foot down. Oh, yeah. I hope he always finds the end of a cabinet with his toe. That'd be good, too. It doesn't break it because, like, it's almost worse when you just on the edge of breaking it and you don't get that sweet release of having your toe break. <laughs> but uh, anyway, let's talk about G-dubs. Okay, there's, yeah. there's, there's no, there, there is no racism here at all. No, I mean, no. yeah, not oh. at all. I, I would almost say that, um, you know, G-dubs may be in a lesser category than Sean Hannity. I'm not so sure, though. Sean Hannity would be do terrible things if he could legally do it. So let's go on. All right. Um, so do we need to recap? Let's recap. Let's recap the George. Um, last week, we followed the mighty quest of George as he got married. Kind of fun for him. Um, went to basically take control of Mount Vernon. Inherited Mount Vernon. And... We looked through how he was a weird businessman for Tidewater Elite, which is kind of fun. He didn't take getting fucked over very well. Very short-tempered. Oh, and the interesting, why the fuck would you do this, George? You're terrible. Is he committed fraud like with the government by taking more land for veterans than he was allotted by the state? And then would get mad anytime anyone brought it up and belittle them and say that. But I deserve it. You know, he got used to being a trust fund dude. And um, yeah, after being poor for a while, then really rich. Went real awful there. And we ended with the election of George to the Continental Army that was forming by our Continental Congress to go, you know, fight English people. I think that's the recap. 
I hope that was well enough. Yep. Sounds like a recap to me. Excellent. Okay, so let us go on. From here, I will now begin our lecture. So, as the army was deploying, and it had deployed, the Continental Army was had one location first in mind, and that was to go break the siege of Boston. Um, there were 10,000 British troops cont- being contained in Boston, and this went on for about two months, the siege. It's actually kind of impressive, because the Americans successfully kept the British troops there in Boston. They couldn't break out, and they couldn't get back across the sea until ships finally showed up and bailed them the fuck out. Um, it's interesting to note that at the onset of the siege, though, Parliament attempted diplomacy to avoid all-out, like, shit-flow war. Because we have to remember this, this technically, even though, like, we consider it the revolution, it's a civil war. That's what it is. It's a civil war breaking out in one country. The country's just segmented. And they sent, though, the, the English Parliament sent a... Who's the man? Lieutenant Philip Brown to deliver a bunch of diplomatic letters to George. He wasn't, he wasn't met by Washington, though. Washington didn't dignify him with a meeting, but he was met by a combination of Henry Knox, Joseph Reed, and Samuel Webb, who are all just, like, part of Washington's boys of officers. He, he had, like, a bunch of entourage of officers that he liked and kept around, and these, these were some of them. The letters, though, were addressed to a Mr. Washington. And apparently the men just flat out rejected it. It started mocking Lieutenant Brown. So I just imagine being like, oh, we don't know any Mr. Washington. We can't fucking, who knows Mr. Washington? And they went on and started asking him, so um, do you, do you know G-Dub's rank? Come on. Come on, you can answer us. And Brown just apparently didn't answer. And the reason was the British had declared that internally that if they did address Washington by his American titles, it would recognize American sovereignty. And so they were just like, nope, Mr. Washington. And they all gave up. They all gave up. This went nowhere, because why would it have went anywhere? And Brown just had to, you know, fuck off and go away, because all he really had to offer was Washington a pardon to lay down arms. And that was not going to fly because just a pardon and no grievances addressed. Mm, probably not a very good strategy, Britain. Congratulations, you fucking toothless morons. So, yeah, they gave up, fucked off, and the armies would first fuck around in Boston. It would definitely be an American victory, and it would solidify Washington as the correct choice of our national leader. You know, though, that the Americans really had just traded the George for George, which I've always found kind of funny because we're just trading out one leader named George for another leader named George. And he wasn't divinely chosen, so that's good. And he was supposed to supposedly a character of or a leader of character and not a leader of convenience of marrying the North and the South because they would never publicly admit that outside of, you know, a few people like Adams. And it's interesting, though, because, like, George, we see Washington become more, like, royal-esque and put on a weird pedestal by Americans as this conflict goes. So it's almost like Americans had no idea how to 
view a leader outside of a royal status. And they just like once they traded out George's, they were just like, oh, yes, let's treat him more like a royalty. And they called him like his excellency a lot and stuff like my dearest commander. And just lots of other weird sounding hoity toity titles. I'm not a fan of all these things. They they make me uncomfortable. I don't like the idea of calling any man his excellency. Hey, man, it's your first time trying to run, like, a war against your, you know, like, parent nation. Like, there's going to be some growing pains, you know? It's like when you're just a bit too overeager uh, when, it, when it comes to, like, a, you know, new relationship. You know, you just got to, you know, iron it out and figure, figure some things out. I mean, fair enough. I just, I just don't like it. I'm not a fan of His Excellency. It's a weird title. It makes me. Oh yeah, no, it's super fucking weird. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I feel like that's something that should only be in some like weird royal servant kink play, and that's about it. Otherwise, uh. Uh-uh. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, that is perfectly fine in the setting of someone's own home with their own agreements. Or a hotel exactly. room, I guess. You can do that in a hotel room. That's even though... Hmm. Mm. No, life sponsor us. <laughs> yeah, let, let, let's see. Maybe we can get a weird kink sponsor eventually. That'd be kind of fun. Like, you know, I'd take a porno sponsor or... I don't know. Some you know who wasn't toy. kinky? George Washington. Oh, probably Dude's not. Yeah, I, I personally wonder, though, if... Like, Americans place their leaders on a pedestal due to, like, some sort of weird ingrained shift from a king to a war hero. I, I kind of think it's, like, an ingrained curse that we put people at a weird, semi-divine status in our political leadership. Um, the Kennedys are weird and creepy to me. The Bushes are weird and creepy to me. I don't like the idea when people talk about, like, uh, Michelle Obama running because it still it seems a bit divine and weird. Like, we're just anointing these people and letting them go on and on and on. But, yeah. Anywho. Let's go into another fun fact, because I have lots of those littered through here. The British, during the conflict, would change their leadership four times for a total of five commanding generals. Um, Us Yankee Doodle assholes only had George. And that's kind of fun. And the British aristocracy, damn it. um, George hated them so much and wanted to expunge them so bad with his infinite control and ever-expanding might. Which um, is one of the few times I agree with him, because, yeah, just, mmm, aristocracy is just gross. Well, let's um, they'll go on, because I have other fun, goofy things that are interesting character habits. Or George had to break weird habits of describing people from other regions of the U.S., because it was still really segmented especially New Englanders. For some reason, he described them as nasty and dirty people a lot and openly. I think it's fun, but New Englanders didn't think so. They were not pleased. This was brought up publicly. I believe it was brought up in Congress as well in Philly. Like, they brought it up, discussed that George is being mean to folks from New England, and it's not sitting well. And they basically, I think, had to give him a, a a nudging of like, don't do that, pal. You're really going to piss off a bunch of folks from Boston. And yeah, kind of fun. On the flip side, though, like New Englanders made fun of folks from the Virginias and 
or Virginia and the Carolinas because they dressed really foppish and they kept discussing how they dressed too much like old like grandfathers from Britain. So you would just dress like a fancy British grandfather and think it was fine and normal. Also interesting. It's weird how fragmented like the American colonies were. All right, though. Let's go on and discuss George's inner circle during the onset of the first year or two of the war. Um, Washington would eventually have 28 folks that he would make generals under him. But by no means did he have all 28 at the start of the war. Um, first, though, before discussing these gen- the generals, let's discuss George's right-hand man, Billy Lee. We're going to talk a lot more about Billy Lee later because I truly believe um, he's one of the most important people in the whole revolution. Um, Billy was George's favorite slave. He was the person he relied on more than anybody. He was literally George's right-hand man. Billy helped George do everything. He was always with George. And you would never see one about the other, which is really interesting. Um, This guy, I would say, he definitely is low-key only because of the nature of slavery. He's one of the most important men in the Revolutionary War. Um, I honestly think at any given time, Billy Lee could have completely fucked the whole war by escaping off the British lines. Like, any time. And it just would have been bam, over. And I just wanted to bring him up. Because, like, no, the, a lot of these books will, like, mention him. Um, then that's why I chose two of the books I did. Because the first one I did, His Excellency, only mentioned Billy is, like, slightly. Where, like, Barry Lives and O'Ko's book did a much better job at illuminating that this man was there and was important. And it's a disservice to all of us that we don't know more about this man. Like, an absolute disservice. We'll go on, though, now. We're going to go back to the leadership assholes that George put in charge. The first being Charles Lee, who, as we discussed in the last episode, was the man in the running for George's job. But he most likely didn't get it because he wanted money, which is reasonable. I mean, you probably should get money for, you know, fucking up your whole life of possibly and running off and shooting guns at the king's men. Um, he was super eccentric, though. The second in command. I think they talk about him in Hamilton, too. So we'll go. We'll throw that in once a thing. Just a fuck of our poor producer. OK. And as we discussed also in the last episode. Charles Lee had much more experience than Washington. Um, And Lee was one of the people who described Washington as my dear general. Okay. Lee understood warfare in the Americas, though, and how it would translate from warfare in Europe. And he loved the idea of guerrilla warfare and started petitioning George for that idea immediately. It was just immediately like, we need to do this to win. And from what I've just said, obviously, he did not win this argument right off. Eventually, Charles Lee would be proven right, but not right now. So secondly, George had Horatio Gates, who, much like Lee, was an English-born former British officer. And much like Lee, Gates 
also immediately decided that, hey, we need to use guerrilla warfare. We're never going to beat the British regular troops if we don't do this. It's just not going to work. And once again, George seemed to dislike this and most things that came out of Horatio's mouth. Oddly enough, though, what he focused on and fixated on was the fact that Gates was way too close with his troops and thought it was a huge, horrible negative. Really strange. Especially for a man who kept, like, some troops around like they were his own children. The second two folks that were in the original inner circle, though, are much more interesting. Because Washington essentially just found these guys, plucked them up, and decided, hey, you can do this well. We're going to use you. The first was Nathaniel Green, who was originally just a random Quaker from Rhode Island, who, by all accounts, in everything that's been spoken about him, was strategically brilliant. Apparently, he was just a natural strategist and could be plucked down and understand how to do a battle better than anyone else that George had at his disposal. And the final major underling would be Henry Knox, who, much like Nathaniel Green, was plucked up he was a simple bookseller from Boston, which is really weird. And Knox dealt also in a strategic capacity. And what, what I'd like to bring these two men up for is the fact that they, to me, illuminate what George was really good at, which was finding, cultivating, and promoting talent. Um, I kind of think that was his actual skill. When we talk about why some men are great, some men are good at some things, other things— in historical context, other people would be good at something else. But George's thing was he was seemed to be really good at just being like, oh, this guy, I can use him for this and he'll do it better than I can ever do it. It's one of the things that I actually find likable about George's as a person was just like, I'm not going to nepotently do this. This guy's good at it. Let him do it. Delegation. Let us discuss, though, another thing that George like smartly did was the creation of lifeguards. On March 11th of 1776, pretty early on, George ordered the creation of a proto-secret service under a Massachusetts soldier, Caleb Gibbs. Um, I bring this up because it's also just more interesting that Gibbs is the first American to use the abbreviation of USA as he had them engraved on all of his little buttons on his uniform, which is kind of fun. And the, they had a really fun motto, too. So I, I kind of like their motto was conquer or die, which, holy shit, it's so aggressive for a bodyguard unit. Like, I kind of fucking love how just aggressive and out there it was for what's essentially a bodyguard unit. Cool. They were disbanded, though, after Yorktown. Um, their final act was to take George and his copious amounts of shit home to Mount Vernon. So yeah, kind of fun. Okay. So while the, the George did that, and that's kind of cool, and I liked it, um, he would disappoint as he didn't immediately integrate the Continental Army. Holding on to the usual... No Negroes in the army. We can't have have black folk of white folk. That would cause a big old problem. This would change. And around the end of the conflict, like 10% of the army were freedmen, which 
is surprisingly high to me. Like I, I honestly didn't expect ten percent to be the agreed upon historical number. I kind of thought it'd be lower. Like I kind of didn't think they would do this as well. And it's just that's one of the more pleasant surprises to me that ten percent of the American Continental Army were freedmen. Like that's and that all these other awful southern slave owners like just you know didn't throw that big of a fit about this <sighs> which also brings up disappointing in <laughs> digressing that's we'll go on washington seemed to have interesting views on black people both freed and slave his views were odd from a normal Virginian and they would, they would shift over time to something that close or looked more like gradual abolitionist. He, he definitely did not start out. And we can see from reading all this stuff, he started out very basic Tidewater Virginian and eventually became like a closeted gradual abolitionist. Mm, though he didn't do it. It's, it's good, I guess, growth for a man who owns a fuck ton of people. <sighs> I don't know really what to say besides that. On so we'll move on. He was super psyched in personal letters when with like Lafayette when Lafayette purchased and freed a whole Caribbean plantation, but he could never do it himself, and it appears to be his holdups from his letters revolve around the economic impacts and it's just George man because you see that like Washington owned about half the enslaved people at Mount Vernon while Martha's dowager state held on to the other half and I'll have to explain a dowager state real quick because a dowager state is really weird and it legally meant that Martha oversaw a certain amount of assets which did not belong to her, but to the descendants of her first husband upon her death. So she was just watching over essentially her husband's stuff until she died to give to their children. And George was really overly concerned about the legal ramifications of freeing his slaves as they were so in intertwined with Martha's dowager state. It's very confusing. I wish I understand it better. And I try to. I really try to. But it is a tangled mess of old fucking Virginia law. And George's economic interest. So after that weird depressing interlude. We will move on to June of 1775. After the final see the final stage of the siege of Boston, Congress ordered an invasion of Quebec by the win by that winter. Um, G Dubs sent Benedict Arnold to achieve this goal of capturing, you know, a cold place in the fucking winter. Starvation occurred within a month. Which, holy shit, how would you guys think this would go well? The front was decisively lost by December 31st of 1775. And other depressing wharf facts at this time, besides starvation and losing all of Quebec in six months, 
you know, or include the wonderful reality that two-thirds of all deaths during the revolution were due to disease, primarily smallpox. Super fun. An epidemic occurred throughout the war, which is cool. We just can't get away from plagues as Americans. Like, terrible plague. Look back in history at a subject. Oh, terrible fucking plague. Have fun, boys. So this is one of the biggest problems that the Continental Army faced during the war. In fact, the first two years of the war, 20% of the Continental Army either had or had died of smallpox. Which is a fucking staggering number. And the only bright side, though, to this is it did convince George that the inoculation of his troops was highly important. But it took, oh, two years after the war began for him to get inoculation approved through Congress. And on the brighter side, though, because of this, the last year of the war, only 1% of that year's deaths would be from smallpox. So they essentially nicked it by the gross process of inoculation. Which, the way they were doing it then, where they were making small incisions on folks. Like, you'd get a small incision on your arm, and they would essentially take a smallpox scab from someone who had it and recovered, and rub the smallpox scab on your arm to give you a tiny bit of the disease. And hope for the best. And it usually worked. It made them, you know, you'd be sick for like a little bit instead of like super fucking sick and down and out. And still kind of gross, though. Kind of gross. Like rubbing people's gross ass scabs on people. Nah, I don't know about that. Now, let's let's think about this, though. Why would the British fight the Americans for so long and so hard? Um, I honestly don't believe it was profits nor any belief in superiority of Britain. Nope. Probably not any of those, but internal correspondence and letters suggest that the British were worried about a domino effect with any colonies. If the Americans broke away at rational, Oh, why not? They're Caribbean, they're Canadian or heaven forbid they're fucking Irish colonies decided to just, Nope, no more, no more Papa Britain and fuck off. Um, it's very interesting because before doing this research, I had never thought about domino effect outside of Yankee doodles and communism, especially not on as a force of driving the British in this conflict. I did not think about that at fucking all. So now we'll move on to propaganda, which it began as quickly as the war had. So Washington had an interesting tactic in regards to propaganda as he would go around and collect stories of British brutality as they emerged. And furthermore, he ordered them published and disseminated through the American populace as quick as possible. This was done with both congressional reports and with newspapers. Primarily, the New Jersey Journal, which was actually sponsored by Congress, with the main objective to push out propaganda. So that's a really interesting way to run a paper. <laughs> like, oh, yep, let's sponsor this paper and have them just pop out war propaganda. No big deal. So These... in my, uh, sorry not to interrupt, in my history no. class uh, on the American Revolution, 
my professor pointed out, she's like, you can always tell who the good guys are, you know, quote unquote good guys are, because they have the, the, the little dog on their side. Because in all those little paintings, there's always a dog on the side of the Americans. Oh, shit. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful like, propaganda. If you look at, um, oh, what, what, where was it? Where like, uh, it's like the Boston Massacre, where like all those troops fired on people who were uh, throwing snowballs at them. Yeah, if you look in the corner, there's a dog just hanging out with the, uh, you know, colonists. Oh shit! I'm gonna, I'm looking it up right now, or painting, and I want to find it, and I'm gonna post it later. <laughs> oh shit! There is That's a little a pup. Yeah, like a little black dog. Yeah, there's just people, you know, bleeding on the ground and like smoke and Englishmen and a little puppy just hanging out. <laughs> yeah. That's really like a fun, fun fact. Yeah. That is a great little fact. Holy shit. Man, like, uh, propaganda is fucking weird. Right. And since we we're talking about like weird little facts, like, I read a lot of this propaganda stuff and. Man, a lot of it is disgustingly, like, British violently raping and molesting people. Like, holy oh, yeah. fuck, I mean, so much of it is that. You, you gotta get people mad and get them on your side. Oh, I know, but, like, it is surprising how much of it, like, it sounds like a lot of it actually happened, too. Because there's a lot, like, I've read over a few things where there are reports where the British are petitioned against like their officers are petitioned against by some like someone's dad or like someone's um fucking husband i mean like yay my relative was horribly assaulted by by your troops and you need to do something about it yeah holy fuck and i would i mean i kind of think it's stuff like this is like another reason why this revolt actually worked it's by how poorly the british responded to themselves <laughs> holy mm -hmm. fuck let's go on though so yeah the, these reports that were done through and spread through congress and newspapers they were brought to the american public you know to not only highlight the brutality of the british but also the inconsistency of British punishment towards his misbehaving troops, as we just discussed, it was very willy-nilly. Um, the British, you know, they really couldn't do very much or didn't do very much in combating their bad image with the general populace. But in 1776, um, which is basically right at the fucking gate, they did, you know, offer freedom to enslaved folks who were able to join the British ranks and fight for Britain. And which is great. Well, that's actually a good thing, but I don't know if it counterbalances like the other bad things they were doing. I think it's just like, Oh, they did a good thing, but they did a lot of bad things too. Fun. So yeah, back to our timeline. And officially by June, 1776, Quebec was lost. It's like completely gone. There's no way we're getting Quebec. And New England was facing the British gun, and the crown jewel of New York City was partially occupied by, you know, fancy pants English people. Washington believed this needed to change, and he led a force of 15,000 
into Long Island and Manhattan to fight the British Army. So the, this battle for New York City had been in the works since May, having considerable supplies and time put into it. So, you know, like a whole good two months of buildup. The two armies, they would decisively clash at Harlem Heights. And, of course, it did not end well for the Americans. And New York City fell completely on November 16th, 1776. And it was a horrible fucking defeat. Like, not good. The army was wrecked, and it escaped, like, by the skin of its teeth across the Hudson into New Jersey. See, Washington hoped that if he won New York, the war would be quickly over. Because, and I think he like a lot would go well because Boston went well for him. He didn't win it though, and after his losses, he had to internally accept the fact that this could be quite a long conflict. The Americans still had advantages though. One interesting one is that the British retained this old war idea, world idea of no war in winter. You know, it's done, boys. We're going to pack it up because it's cold out. There's no way we could fight when it's cold out. Um, Washington did not retain this idea, which is one of the few things I think is really smart from the man. And on Christmas night of 1776, G-Dubs and co. decided to bring, you know, some last night gifts to the British forces. Like, a, like you know, like Santa Claus. No big deal. Got to do some Santa Claus shit. The Americans, on December 22nd, setting the stage here, had captured a British spy, John Honeyman, who George quickly interrogated personally, which was odd. Honeyman, though, was a double agent that Washington had in his pocket and had been feeding information to. One of the things he had fed was the fact that, oh, you know, army's done for the winter. We're packing it up. We've been we've been beat up too bad, and we're going to... We're going to nurse ourselves back to life over the winter. So naturally, the British, once they got this back, decided to take it easy, you know, hang out, have some drinks with the boys. It's Christmas time. And unfortunately, for a group of mostly Hessens, um, yeah, this didn't go well. They were holding it down on the Delaware River around Trenton, New Jersey. And yeah, they got a little too drunk. And got a little too sloppy on Christmas Eve. And Washington seems to have been, you know, really good at espionage. And there are even some officers citing espionage as America's greatest strength during the war. So the Americans, you know, they cross cross over during the dead of Christmas night from Pennsylvania with 2,400 troops and 18 artillery pieces. As I said, the Hessens had been drinking all night. So they were drunk, probably full and happy, eat something really tasty, and presumably dead asleep. Um, the Americans, you know, they got there and they started all out fucking attacking. Um, they completely crushed the Hessens with over a hundred wounded or killed, just out of commission. The Americans did this with only three deaths. So that's pretty fucking good. And they captured a thousand troops and knocked them out of the war. So that's really great. Hell, even more impressive, though, is that only a quarter of the Americans that were originally intended actually made the landing site. The other three quarters of the attacking troops got lost in fuck all intense fog. 
Um, to top this whole thing off, a week later, the British would attack from their base at Trenton, New Jersey. Um, and Washington knew this was going to happen. So the Americans fucked off and slipped out early and would show back up like, a day or so later with 6,000 troops down the road to attack the British camps at Princeton. So pretty fun. Slip out, come back, boom, fuck someone up. All right, and we're going to stop it there with, you know, a, an American victory. That'll be, that's fun. And we'll go on next time and come back at you with something that's not Washington, which I think will be fun. I Like I said, like yeah, I said I mean, earlier. No, go, go on. Ahead, sorry. No, you go. No, it's fine. I will, I will uh, paw at you, sir. Uh, fair, fair. I was gonna say, like, honestly, you could just like call the rest of the war uh, at this point. I mean, America wins. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. And there, there's a reason why we, why most of us don't give a shit that um, whatever that king was or Prince Philip, whatever his name was, died, died last month or whenever the hell it was. Yo, I'm not gonna lie. Like, Americans who have a weird like fixation with the royal family kind of weird me out. Like. It makes me mad, actually. Like, I'm not going to lie. It yeah. kind of makes me mad. I get it. Like, it's kind of interesting and charming, but I blame Disney a lot for this. And yep. it's kind of creepy. And I think that's why people love voting for the Kennedys. Same kind yeah, of Yeah, I can see that. Uh, political dynasties are bad. They are. Oh, yeah. So, we like to thank, though, um, Mr. Singe Weyburn for our art. He is our artist. He made our wonderful design there that we have on the topic of the platypus, and we like it. And soon, probably like within the next 24 hours or so, we're going to have his a link to his site up in most likely our show notes and on our Twitter if we can figure that out. We're not very good at this stuff, but we're going to try, damn it. I mean, speak for yourself, dog. I put logo done by that in our pro in his pro in the twitter profile uh but i also don't have access to his facebook so i can't directly link it oh yeah that reminds me um my significant other thinks your facebook might be hacked too the one that you left dead years ago and deactivated because she thinks she saw your little face the other day so that's fun kind of fun awesome Hell yeah. Love to hear it. All right. So that's it. I have been whiskey this week, as I've been most weeks recently. And I. Oh, I can be found at Whiskey is a Devil at Twitter, which hopefully I will have access again to soon. So, yep. Hit us up. Hit me up there. And I've been broadcasting from Unseated Land. That was owned by the Wichita, the Kiowa, the Osage, and the Kickapoo. And uh, I am Bravo. Yeah, you can find me at not Bravo Delta uh, on Twitter. You can find the show at at yo what the hell PD. Uh, you can email us at yo what the hell pot at gmail.com. Uh, I have been broadcasting from land that belonged to the Cheyenne, Arapaho, Ute, and the Sioux uh, in Denver, Colorado. And, uh, yeah, that has, that's, that's all I got. Huzzah!
All right. Well, I guess that's all. So later, folks. Goodbye.